All right, let's get out to the zone phone. Joining us now, the radio voice of the Utah Jazz. He is David Locke. Hello, David. Why, how did I get so lucky to talk to Jake and Gordon today? Because it's Wednesday? And not and not <laughs> have to talk to Austin. Oh, yeah, you got to talk to Eric today. Yeah, Austin. Austin's yeah. off. We don't know what he's doing. He's coming uh, David. Oh, David, we were just talking about your your what you said the other day about how this is all going to go down and and uh, on Hanson Scotty, by the way. Yeah, yeah, and, there, and there there have been indications that what you said could be exactly right. I mean, I'm I'm so sorry you haven't been specific enough. I'm right so often. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure which, what you're speaking of. We, we, <laughs> well, are we you play about my election predictions. Are you talking about my NBA <laughs> predictions? Are you talking about my general? I mean, like really, the 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 list is so endless <laughs> that it's hard for me without a specific qualifier to start the conversation for me to understand where you what you were discussing, Gordon. Jake, tell them what we played. So we played a, a clip from uh, your conversation with Hanson Scotty. It was at the very end where you talked about why you were so confident in a December 22nd oh. start because of the uh, escrow number and the motivation financially for the players to, to get on board. It makes yeah, perfect sense, David. We're, we're there. We're going to be able to be announced tomorrow, right? Like right. December. <laughs> like, I mean, there has, I mean, like, in, there. It's it's been interesting to follow the NBA. I would even include this for, like, all the bubble conversation of, like, what was going to happen in the bubble. Because, I mean, I don't mean, I actually was being really sarcastic about being that right. And I know there's a bunch of people out there that are like, wow, what an arrogant pee. Um, and um, that was accurate, but I was kidding. Um but I actually have been like seemingly right on most things with NBA scheduling because it's run by reasonable people, right? And so you can actually look at, wow, look at this. This is what would make it most reasonable and best for both sides. And the NBA remarkably gets there most of the time. So like when we were all talking about the bubble and how it was going to work and when it was going to take place and what the dates were and how, you know, what, like it was done really, really, really well. And, and I, and I actually, I think the key on this is Michelle Roberts is like Adam Silver gets all the credit, but Michelle Roberts is equally as good at her job, if not better in some ways, because I think her job's far more difficult Adam Silver's job is to co- collaborate 30 owners who most of the time have a similar agenda. Now, sometimes when you get inside of a collective bargaining agreement, that gets a little different because you're getting the revenue share and things like that. But like LeBron and Chris Paul have really different needs than Royce O'Neal and George Niang. Yeah. And so the fact that Michelle Roberts seemingly is going to be able to get her players and then the the even other part that's maybe even more difficult about Michelle Roberts' job as players union head is the agents. Right? She's not just dealing with the players. She's got to corral those power agents and make sure that they're on board because the minute one power agent's not on board and gets his 12 clients to balk, then it's a problem. So she really has done in in from a 30,000 viewpoint and maybe I'll find out otherwise an impressive job of representing her clients saying, Hey, wait, we don't want to play this early. You better make it worth our while because nobody really wants to go now. And then being able to go back to her players and say, guys, they really need us to play. And they're giving us this for that. And then getting everybody on board. So I think it's, you know, 
two elite, elite level leaders that are. Um, in fact, I'd vote for either of them for president. <laughs> Since you're so on the money on all this stuff, will you please tell us? The uh, Silver well, Roberts, the Silver Roberts ticket. How about that one for the future? Okay, <laughs> we'll, give me my new we'll, T-shirt. Will uh, Will Will Biden win Arizona and Nevada? Well, I only believe I believe everything Fox News tells me, and they said he was going to win Arizona. All right. There's a sentence I've never uttered, uttered in my life. That was the most hysterical part of last night. It was so great. Wasn't it like watching everybody who for like the last whatever eight years or 12 years has complained that Fox News is this conservative propaganda piece that's putting falsehoods into hey, what Fox News said. Fox, now they're like using Fox News as their justification and then watching every person that for 12 years has believed, preached to the gospel and the Bible of Fox News suddenly claiming Fox News is lying. Like it was beautiful. <laughs> I loved it. I thought that was like the most hysterical, like three hours of the whole night last night with like people like side just because they're so like, and by the way, like, let me just bag on the liberals. Like I haven't heard anyone complain about the electoral college in like six hours, but like, <laughs> Oh my God. From like four, six o'clock last night to like midnight, the electoral college has got to be destroyed. It's got to, now it's like Biden's going, I haven't heard anybody complain about the electoral college. Can we just actually have some real beliefs? We actually believe something, not just something that's our, for our well-being. Oh, please, somebody out there. Mm. I'm glad I brought it up. Now, here's my rant. The Electoral <laughs> College thing has me laughing my ass off. And, like, I don't hide it, right? Like, come on. Like, you know, like, that had me, that, that has me just like, I'm just laughing at people on that one. Like, so it's still bad, are... by the way. The Electoral College is still bad. Even if Biden wins, it's still really, really bad. It really doesn't work for our country. Like, okay, like there's and and because the Senate's built the way it is and it's not actually representative of America very well, then actually we don't need the Electoral College anymore. Like there's a there's actually a logical justification of why we don't need that anymore. It makes sense. It's the purpose of the Electoral College is being represented in other aspects of our life. Like there's a real reason for that. Like I, and that was true before the election, regardless of how it turned out. But, like, don't just preach it when it's for your well-being. Actually, just believe something, people. Okay, sorry. <laughs> David Locke is with us, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. What do you think about uh, the, the reports or rumors out there about Gordon Hayward wanting to be, uh, wanting to be traded? You know, I actually, what I think is most interesting about it is I was saying, if you recall, that I can't imagine Jalen Brown wants to stay. Yeah, mm-hmm. So I really can't imagine Gordon Hayward wants to stay, right? Because that's, that's Kemba Walker and Jason Tatum's team and then Jalen Brown's team and then a little bit of Mark. Like Gordon is, you know, because of injuries has not been at his peak, but at times, but he's their fourth or fifth best player. Like the reason Gordon Hayward and Gordon's been very consistent about this. And I know he's like taboo, bad name, but like Gordon in all my conversations with him and I interacted with the problem more than anyone else was, you know, he, he was obsessed with his placement in the league. So the reason Gordon Hayward went to Boston wasn't Brad Stevens. And it was, it was because he knew they were going to get opening night. I mean, not this specifically, but he knew he would get opening night, Boston, 
Cleveland, when LeBron was on Cleveland, ESPN, Gordon Hayward and the Celtics, LeBron James and the Cavaliers. Like, that's what he wanted, right? That's, that's, what, he, that's what he was obsessed about. The reason he wouldn't um, do anything but the max deal when he was with the Jazz is because it had to do with his placement in the league and hit the respect he got in the league from being a max contract player. Well, he's watching his, his career now move into the last stage of it, and he's the fourth best player on the team. And that's not what he wants. Like, he wants to be, and he thinks he, you know, you know I don't know whether he can be or not. I, I haven't watched him enough to know that if he's back from that injury, he had some good stretches. But frankly, his role on that team didn't allow him on a night-in and night-out basis to be able to exemplify if he was great. So it doesn't surprise me at all. I, I mean, I just think they have too many good players. So, David, that leads into my question about his ability at this point. Is it is it the setting he's in, or is it the injury, or can he recapture some of what he was in Utah? So understanding that Jason Tatum is great, right? We agree? Yeah. And I think that Jalen Brown is like the net. I don't think he'll be like um, James Harden's score, but like, you know, the way that James Harden was kind of – the third piece at Oklahoma city and then got his own team and became a superstar. Like I think, I think Jalen Brown could do that very, very easily. If he got, you know, switched to another team, I don't know the answer to your question because the fact is that I think that Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown at their peaks are better than Gordon Hayward at his peak. And so I can't tell it's not as though a less good player. Like if what's an example here, if, if he's on Charlotte and Terry Rozier is taking his possessions, then I'm like, what's going on? There's something wrong with Gordon. But the guys that are taking his possessions are actually probably better than he is. I take him back, by the way. I know that's controversial. Nobody wants it. He'd be so great on our team. And only taking back, you know, of course, if I didn't have to trade any of our players and they just gave him to us for free. But, um, you know, he's so perfect for us. Would do you think? So fans I don't, by the would, way, but would, I but I, let me say that I don't want I, I don't want him for thirty four. Uh, I don't want him for you know you probably have to move Boyan seventeen for his thirty four. I don't really want that deal. So I don't you know in the constructs of NBA salaries and stuff. I don't really his game is perfect for us though. Locke is with us uh, right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Uh, Gordon and I chatted about this a little earlier. If uh, the reports are true and camps will open on December 1st, that's that's what? Three and a half weeks? Yeah, it's three and a half (laughs) weeks from now that they're going to do free agency, a draft, all in that time period. It's going to be wild. It is going to be insane. Um, I mean, like, we're, like, I spent much of my day to day building a um, locked on NBA. NBA draft like show it's a week away like we're doing our mock draft show one week from now and then you know and then you're like and you're doing your live shows like two weeks from now I mean like this is right around the corner like I I love it because my stress relief instead of watching the election other than laughing about the electoral college and people loving Fox News who've never liked them for a day in their life is um, I just watched NBA prospects last night because I knew nothing would be decided and so it was a much more enjoyable uh, experience for me. David, what do you think of, of preseason games, exhibition games? Are those even necessary anymore, or do you think it's an important part of getting ready? I think they're important, and I'm stunned that they're playing them. Um, I, I don't think that eight of them are necessary. It's not what we used to do. Um, you know, I think we've proven that by playing those Australia. But I think, like, hey, that Australia, those Australia games and those 
um, you're, some of those games, I, I think they have a lot of value. Like, you're getting out in a run against somebody other than your own team, and you run a little harder. And No, I think they have great value. I think those are um, – and the injury risk is really minimal. It's not like the NFL where you're, you know, getting beat up. Um, so I, I think they're really, really valuable. Um, and I was, but I will admit when I saw the various reports that this included three preseason games that I was not right on. I had no idea. I would have thought that the answer was no preseason games. I think I've said that on the air. So there goes the whole theory that I'm right all the time. I know a lot of people <laughs> thought that might be true, but it's not. Uh, what, the- am I on, what am I on today? If you're wondering, just to let you know, I'm so excited to talk to you. I have been on calls every 30 minutes for the last five hours. So I am so excited to talk to somebody that's not like otherwise related to the stuff I've been working on. Uh, David, want to? Well, let me put it this way: last report that I saw is that the salary cap is likely to stay the same. Are you hearing that, or do you expect it to go down? Uh, I think that part of this whole agreement will be tax and cap hold. Um, the 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 ta- the tax is interesting. The owners don't really want the tax to move. They really are totally honest about it. The way I read it, I don't think the owners really want the tax to move because if the tax moves, then a bunch of owners end up in the tax. Right? You go move the tax down too far, there's about eight, nine teams that are hovering right on the edge of it, and then they, they actually can't build their team. They probably have to get rid of a player or they have to pay the tax. Well, no owner wants to pay the tax. It's really prohibitive. So the cap is the one that the players that the that the ownership is willing to move a little bit um, in part of, in this negotiation along with the escrow. So there's you know there's three levers. There's games played, four levers. Games played, start date. Those are kind of one lever together. And then there's cap and there's escrow. So you start December 22nd. We hold the cap and the escrow is 18 percent. Oh, you want to start January 23rd? Oh, then the cap's going down and we're holding 30 percent. Right. Those are the levers. So um, the luxury tax, I don't get the feeling is really a lever here in this negotiation. And so I think the the cap just holds the same. I think the impact of that is almost nothing on free agency. There were only four teams that had cap space to start with. Only Charlotte, Atlanta and Detroit, I think, are going to be spenders. Miami's playing for Giannis next year. David, now that you've had some time to cogitate, over the uh, the Ryan Smith buying the Jazz, uh, any additional thoughts on uh, what is to be expected and how you feel about it overall? Um, so there's some aspects of it which I'm really excited for, but I really feel every time I talk about that excitement, it's as though I'm saying something contrastingly critical to the Millers, so I'm kind of uncomfortable about that. I'm going to be really honest. I just am in such admiration and thankfulness to what the Millers have done for Utah and, you know, to wait and, and what, you know, I had that unique relationship with Larry and Gail is just a force of comfort that, um, that I just think that's the greatest way to describe Gail. She's a force of comfort. She just gives us all. And so while am I excited that you have a 42 year old, that's, you know, crazily connected in the world to everyone in the dot-com world of Silicon Valley and respected as one of the lead entrepreneurs in the world and that he might know everyone and be able to take the company in ways and know, have contacts and, you know, do things. Yeah, I think that's really, really exciting. Um, do I think 
you know, it's going to be a huge transformation for the organization to have a 42-year-old hands-on owner. Yeah, but I think that's exciting. Um, you know, his company is data. I like data. Um, I think that's exciting. You know, I think there's, you know, I think there's a lot of aspects to it that are really exciting for the, for the city and the team. I think the fact that he's, you know, from Utah and has ties here, as I personally experienced the other side of it when I was in Seattle, really means an awful lot to me. I think if we didn't have that one going on, I think I'd be losing some sleep, um, just from, you know, past scars. And so, I'm really, you know, there are numerous things that over the last week or so I've felt like this is going to be really fun to watch and see and, 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 and take in and observe. And, and then I think the really other one that quite, if I'm really being a hundred percent honest is I love watching people and players and coaches. And I think it's going to be fascinating to watch Ryan learn NBA ownership. Like, like that's a different skill. It's a, it's not running Qualtrics and turning it into a billion dollar company. It's something very different. And I think we've watched, you know, if if we remember, even watching Larry. Larry was a pretty different owner from the when he finished it up than when he was when he started. And I think it'll be fascinating to watch that evolution of of someone who's as talented and as bright as Ryan and Ashley. I don't think we should just only talk about Ryan. I think that's, you know, they were very clear that it's a joint venture between the two of them. And I think we should respect that in all of these conversations. So I apologize that I just did not do that. Um, but I think it, it'll be fascinating to watch the two of them. And as they go on this, on this ride together and watch them evolve into how they view the, the right way to do it. And it's going to be incredible. The first time that Ryan Smith has a really relationship with one of these players and then, either they leave him in free agency or trade. And then what's the scar and impact on, on Ryan and Ashley for that. And what's the, you know, what's the impact the first time one of our players takes a misstep and how do we deal with it? And what's the reaction the first time we lose? Well, those are all bad experiences, but bad experiences lead scars. And then how does he react the first time we have great experiences, right? Like, does he like, you know, I mean, like let's use an example that's fun for you and I, like I'm hundred percent certain he's going to be better than this, but like you and I watched Jim Boylan in his first year as a head coach grab a microphone and go, oh dear God, you can't do that, <laughs> right? Yeah. But like that's only something that somebody does. Jim Boylan's a better coach than, even though it didn't work in Chicago, and like he's like, right? Like he, that was just a sign of someone who'd never done it before, right? Like you can't do that. You know, the same way that like my end of my personal run with Jim Boylan, which wasn't much better than yours. You know, he, like I'm calling him to be helpful and he's screaming at me like, okay, well, I'm pretty certain the next time he gets a job and he's not going to treat a reporter like that. Like these are all just process and steps of people who go through the pro- same, same way that like I was 25 years old as a program director and none of you can remember any of it because I've zapped it out of your brain so that you won't tell stories about what a beeping lunatic I was. But I wasn't really, you know, like I'm pro- if I was a program director at at 45, I would have been a lot better than I was at 25. So there's, there's just all of us go through this maturation, and I think it's going to be fascinating to watch Ryan and Ashley as new owners as well because that's part of the process. David, love hearing from you on Wednesdays, buddy. Thanks for jumping on. Well, it's my pleasure today, evidently way more than other Wednesdays because I was super geeked to talk to you. Everything else I'm dealing with is complicated and heavy and hard and fun and difficult and stressful and this has just been a pure pleasure so thank you very much and i promise i won't do six shots of espresso again before a show but i thought i'd see what would happen (laughs) 
David, David, I just want to let you know that I, I, what do you think, Jake? David's right at least 99.9999% of the time. If that were true, I certainly wouldn't tell him. <laughs> no, here's what it is. There's some great phrase, there's some great phrase about it, right? Isn't it? What is it like? Um, rarely accurate, but never in doubt. Yeah. <laughs> I like that, actually. I gotta have steal that one. You would, you would love that. Uh, thank you, David. Thank you very much. See ya. Talk to you guys later. See you, buddy. It's our friend David Locke, radio voice of the Jazz. His interview brought to you each and every week by our friends at Murdoch Auto Group.